Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hola socios, hola equipo, my name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, this is Taylor from Shenzhen, China, and I am a socio of The Big Interview. My favorite episodes are the weekly insights from La Liga. Living out in China, I can't keep up with the league I love because of the kickoff times and the fact that it's just not covered out here. It's not very popular, which is very, very sad. And Graham and his insight really helps me to stay in touch with the league I love and the football I love. I'm willing to bet that you enjoyed part one on the big interview with Alan Smith. He's intelligent, eloquent, often very funny. He's a thoughtful man, and I guess some of his self-confidence is based on the fact that the majority of his career was very successful. Think about that league title he talked about in 89 and winning the double at Arsenal and scoring goals so regularly that he won two golden boots in the top division in England. But things weren't always smooth for him here. Alan reflects on one of the big surprises and one of the big disappointments in his career, which rests with him now, as he explains, as an embarrassment. Everything he anticipated, his partnership with the new, cocky, dynamic, funny, characterful striker at Arsenal, Ian Wright, didn't come to fruition. He dealt with it badly. He hasn't spoken about it very much. And here he explains what went wrong, how he tried to understand that subsequently, and what his relationship with Wrighty is now. It's unusual to hear Alan Smith speaking in this way because, again, think about the fact that at a time when things weren't going right for him, when he was struggling to handle it, he scored the winning goal in the last European final that Arsenal managed to lift a trophy in, only two in their entire history, and Alan scored the winner in the second one. The feeling of lifting an understrength Arsenal team in a Copenhagen stadium where it felt like a home match because of the fans who were there, the buzz of joy it gave him on the night didn't compensate for how blue he felt, how down he felt about the last three years of his career. And we talk about the place that mental health assessment, people's awareness of how we treat footballers, that they are not unique, they are part of society, they suffer the same worries and fears and insecurities that we do. That forms a section in this interview with Alan Smith, but so does something he finds much, much happier. He's been a really successful voice on something that I knew nothing about till I spoke to him. This FIFA game, which is now FIFA 19, that people play the world over. You've probably played it, you've probably listened to his commentary, but remember... He makes these comments, not watching football. Well, how do they do it? 
I'll let Alan Smith explain. The big interview with Alan Smudger Smith is worth your time, I think. Enjoy. Let's say there's a best 11 from your time at Arsenal. Um, you're in it, but you're also leading this exercise. You take one out of that, whatever best 11 you want to call in your era at Arsenal, whichever other 10 bodies there are, and take one player from a subsequent Arsenal era and put him into, into your Arsenal 11 by your choice, who would you pick and why? Uh, <laughs> put a player in. Oh dear, oh dear. I mean, God, there's a few, aren't there? Yeah. You know, I mean, the. the if three... you have to have two, it seems <laughs> it's your book and your interview and your manner, you can have two, but no more. That best Arsenal 11, whoever it might be. Well, it wouldn't be the back five because Seaman and the back four, you know, set in stone. Nobody, Sol Campbell, Ashley Cole. You know, I couldn't put anybody into that. Um, so you're looking at Patrick Vieira, I think. And then Henri and Bergkamp, you know, you could throw in Perez if you wanted. But no, I'd, I'd say Vieira and... I mean, Henri, he's the greatest player I've ever seen on these shores, so I'd have to put him in there. That's interesting. I just thought he was an amazing player and he just redefined the art of a striker. How? Well, the hardest thing to do is put the ball in the back of the net, but just the, the areas he drifted into and just how dominant he was from a physical point of view and his self-belief. He, he was just head and shoulders above defenders at that, you know, for a good five, six year spell. They just couldn't do anything about him. And they knew that, he knew that. I, I just thought he was amazing. It's interesting that you reached first for Vieira, though, as a name to go on your team. For slightly different reasons, as good a footballer as Patrick was. Yeah. I mean, we had fantastic midfielders, you know, Mickey and Paul Davis, Kevin Richardson. But Vieira, you know, he, he was. He just—he was a huge figure in the middle of the park, and just those leadership qualities he had, that aura he had, ability to stride forward and get goals. Um, yeah, I think you know he would make a huge difference to any side. When um, when there's another moment um, coming up in Copenhagen and, and Arsenal win a game that probably for different reasons most people thought might just be beyond them. I want to tread delicately here. Spoiler, Alan scores the winner against Parma in Copenhagen, but you don't particularly enjoy it, or, or it doesn't give you as well, much... I enjoyed the goal, but... It doesn't yeah. give you quite the feeling that a winning goal in a European final should give you. Regularly now, I think there's a healthy trend of of the, the media and sponsors and clubs and fans accepting that footballers are human beings instead of just toys you bring out on a Saturday, and that wealth and fame doesn't make you immune to pressure or emotions or whatever. Quite often we hear about people who are desperate or uh, feel stressed or can't cope with their lifestyle. And in Michael Owen's case recently, he came out and talked a lot about having completely lost any joy in football whatsoever. You were, in, in Heads Up, you explained that you were something similar. So before mm. we get to uh, the parking stadium, try and explain to people listening who don't know about that what was wrong and what it felt like? Well, it happened fairly quickly, actually. We'd won the league in 91, and then the following season we bought Ian Wright. 
which I thought was going to be fantastic for me because he was the type of player that you would imagine would gel naturally the way he had with Mark Bright at Crystal Palace. But from day one, it just didn't click. He was such a one-off Brighty. I mean, he was the best finisher I've ever played with. He was just sensational in front of goal. But I talked about George having that set shadow play. Everyone knew their roles, where to go in relation to each other. Brighty would just do his own thing. He couldn't be reined in. He'd just do his own thing and stick the ball in the back of the net. So George had to step back and go, well, OK, I'm just going to let him get on with it here and we're going to try and play to his strengths, which didn't particularly play to mine, but it affected me in a way that it should never have affected me to that extent. My confidence in front of goal just fell off a cliff. I don't know. I mean, I say in the book, I was maybe affected by Wrighty's kind of soaring self-assurance. He, he came in like a hurricane. He was such a big character, noisy. You know, he, he dominated the dressing room. And, you know, I mean, I'd won the golden boot in the league twice. There's no way I should have been uh, intimidated. But in a way, I was, which is a bit embarrassing. It's, it is now to, to, to admit it, but uh, I was. And in training, I was stumbling over chances. I'd normally, you know, eaten up in my sleep and, and, you know, that went on to match days and my goal tally dropped alarmingly. I mean, I wasn't getting as many chances. We'd, we were playing a bit more of a direct style over the top to right. He was always on the shoulder, bursting through and, and scoring. So he didn't play with so much whip. There weren't so many crosses coming in. But even so, I mean, at the time, I kind of privately blamed Ian for it. I think he's come in and, and spoiled the status quo. Uh, and, he, and he's, he's kind of affected my game. But, uh, you know, I should have looked at myself more and done more to, to cure it, really. I did go and see a sports psychologist. And it didn't do any good whatsoever, really. Um, I came back none the better. And this lasted three years, but the final three years of my career. Mm. And it was an awful way, really, for it to dribble to a close. People don't see it so much. They go, oh, Smudger, he's not scoring as many goals, but he's doing his bit for the team which I had to try and do otherwise I wouldn't be in the team but it was just a kind of gritting of the teeth let's just get through this let's just try and um, contribute something to the team effort and that's what I tried to do but it, it just felt like such hard work that it was, there was no enjoyment there none at all and, and are you one of these people that to some extent you're, you're, either your self-respect or your relationship with yourself is is based on, am I succeeding or am I am I doing what I am programmed to do? Mm. Score goals, for example. Did, is that was that part of the, the the turmoil that that you're fighting through in your head when you're stumbling over chances? You know, I've always been somebody that has lacked a bit of self-belief. So when things do go wrong, it takes me longer to come out through the other side. You know, I've had some goal droughts. And, you know, it, it has been difficult to get out. But when I am scoring and not thinking about it, you know, I've gone on amazing sprees. But, yeah, I think that lack of self-belief is like a recurring theme through my career, through my subsequent career as well, maybe, when it comes to co-commentary and that. Um, I never thought I'd be, good, I'd be good at that when it was suggested. Uh, which, you know, he's classic me. Um, thinking, oh, they don't want to listen to my whining, drummy drawl, you know, uh, just my voice. But I, I've always had the ability to adapt and know what's required, and I've been able to do that in commentary. But in in football, um, yeah, I did. Um, 
I did sometimes fail to realise what a good player I was. Mm. And I had a lot of self-doubt when I was struggling. And that's what made it harder to come through the other side. The, the fact that the, the leaders had other things on their mind at that stage and weren't looking out for you or coming to help you, which might have happened in George's life, had things not been going on, or in Tony's life, because maybe all it needed at some stage was the right person to say, I, I, I see what's happening, Alan, you know, mm. right, his behaviour and arrival and all that. Try this, or we understand it. That might have made a difference retrospectively. It might have, yeah. I mean, you know, I, the book stops with me. I felt I should have done more. Maybe I should have had a meeting with George and Wrighty and kind of thrashed it out. I don't know whether that would have made any difference whatsoever. You'd have probably shied away from that thought at oh, the well, time. Oh, I would have. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because I mean, I've never liked confrontation, really. The gaffer must have been able to have seen it, and then he, he would drop me and Kev Campbell would play. We became a cup team, successful cup team, so in a way, George wouldn't have been too displeased, or he would have been unhappy. We were no longer title contenders, but we were still successful. So we were kind of stumbling along in that fashion really that's when 1-0 to the Arsenal was born because Wrighty mm. would score it and the back four would keep a clean sheet you know in, in our title years that song was never sung but yeah it, I, I just it's an eternal regret that I could never fix that problem How much have you talked this through with Ian subsequently? Oh I had a chat with him uh, not face to face he was over in Ireland at the time but I, no I just had a chat on the phone and he was as good as gold, you know. He said, oh, I'm sorry, Smudge. I said, it's not your fault, mate. It was my fault. And I'm glad I did have that chat. Yeah. And I'm glad I wrote it in the book because it was something that had always been inside me yeah. uh, that I'd never got out into the open. And it was something Arsenal fans would not have had a clue about. So for them, it was new. I don't, I'm not putting you in the position of Desmond Morris or asking you to be a psychologist for writing, but I'm expressing an honest point of view. I always wanted during his career to kind of like him more because this brand of football was very exciting his story about what he had to go through to, to break into professional football was very intoxicating for anybody who thought well there but for the grace of God and you know I'm a little bit anarchic and noisy and I quite like that and then they went into broadcasting and frankly I, I didn't really enjoy what he was doing and now I, I honestly think he's changed out of all recognition mm, yeah. I also feel he's probably changed what well, he seems to me of have changed as a person and the real Ian Wright is coming out and then the noise and the, the banter and the largeness, whatever. Well, mm. not being a, a shield or a mask or anything. The real Ian Wright that I'm listening to now and watching and um, I'm hugely enjoying and I'm impressed by and when I saw him telling his story about um, breaking through and sacrifice and whatever and the tears about the guy who, who'd mentored him. And, and mm. I saw a very different, very mm. raw and emotional guy, mm. different to the guy that sort of upset your apple cart. And mm. Mm. that's a fair description of him? Whatever. Yeah, also. definitely, yeah, yeah, and I'll go along with that. I mean, as you get older, you, you do mellow as well, don't you? And you, you're supposed to become a bit wiser. I have. And, and we, hopefully we all have, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I get on great with Ian now. Um, there was always that unspoken kind of distance between us at the time. There was an awkwardness, I'd say, because he must have expected a lot more from me coming into the club. I certainly expected more from me at the time. Um, so the fact it, it wasn't clicking, it, it was, yeah, uh, the elephant in the room, really. Um, the reason for asking that, although you write about it very well in Heads Up, is that um, 
you know, for a club of Arsenal stature to have only won two European trophies is both bemusing and, and frankly, if, if I can use firm words, it's atrocious. Mm. If I was an Arsenal man, director, fan, player, journalist, I'd be, I'd be scandalised, I'd be furious. Because really, quite honestly, for a club of that tradition and wealth and ideas and talent over the years, there should be two or three more, mm. I think. And the last man to score a winning goal in a European final for Arsenal was you. But raise all of this because you said that at the time, even triumphing in adversity, even scoring the winning goal in a European final, wasn't enough to remove what had been going on for the previous three years and that you'd have swapped 20 goals a year mm. for the mm. winning goal in the final. I think a lot of people find that strange. Why was that Copenhagen triumph regarded as such a extraordinary victory set the scene paint it well Ian got booked in the semi-final against Paris Saint-Germain so he was suspended for the final so straight away that was going to be a handicap for us he'd been our top scorer and then when it got to the uh, when it got to the week of the final I mean John Jensen had already done his crew shirt so he was out Martin Keown failed the late fitness test Martin, who was playing in midfield at the time. He was, play, he was, yeah, he was down to playing midfield, yeah. And George tried to persuade him on the day. They, George and Gary Lewin felt he probably could play, but Martin didn't think he I could. I sensed there was a debate at the time. I think there was a debate at the time, yeah. And um, I used that as a euphemism. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we were really up against it. I mean, we looked at that Palmer team. We trained on the pitch the night before. We were first out onto the park and pitch, and we did our bit, and we, we've strolled off laughing and joking and the, the Palmer players are waiting there, you know, immaculate in their yellow and blue tracksuits. Uh, all Italian sides do look immaculate, don't they? And I, I think we just got the feeling they were looking us up and down as if to say, who's this shower shit we're playing tomorrow? Do you think they really think. were or did somebody just say that We too? probably just, yeah. <laughs> did you see the look on their faces? Bastards. Yeah. Italian um, snobs. So, yeah, straight away we thought we had this will show mentality. Uh, and somebody also, there was the podium was there and on it was written Palmer, winners Palmer. No. And somebody mentioned it, but nobody pointed out that on the other side was winners <laughs> Arsenal. So it all, the it all little went, twists of fate, yes, man, honestly. It all went towards firing us up. So, you know, our midfield, it was a 4 3 3 because George would change for Europe compared to domestic games. He would switch to 4 3 3 after we got stung in the European Cup against yeah. Benfica. Yeah. Against a very good Benfica side. Very good team, yeah. Stefan Schwartz, if I'm not wrong, maybe Rui Costa. Isaiah. Isaiah scored. Yeah. If you look through that team, there's still the bulk of a team that had reached the Champions League final. Well coached, very dangerous in a break, technical. Yeah, they're very good, yeah. And George felt we got outnumbered in midfield, so he he went to this 4-3-3, which made us more compact. I'm sorry, I've got to be boring and stop you now. Hold on, that's wrong. 4-3-3 is less than 4-4-2 in midfield. Okay. <laughs> Help the listener. Seriously. Yeah, well, obviously, 4-3-3 means three in midfield more centrally. And, mm-hmm. and the two lads wide of me, whether it was Wrighty, Merce, Kevin Campbell, two from three, would funnel back, make it a five in midfield. And I would be ploughing the lone furrow, holding it up, waiting for support. So 4-3-3 in that context is something of a misnomer. Because 4-3-3 in Cruyff for Guardiola speak, yes. although the, the three do different things than just pin width, it's not a 4-5-1. No, no. But, yeah, I mean, 
obviously Merce and Wrighty, if they were the boys either side, they are very much attack-minded players. But when we didn't have the ball, they were expected to become defenders instantly, which Kevin and uh, Merce were in, in Copenhagen that night. But, you know, our central midfield was Ian Sally, Paul Davis and Stevie Morrow. You know, Ian Sally and, and Stevie Morrow, with all due respect, were not exactly regular first-teamers. Paul Davis, classy midfielder, top man. And we're thinking, well, <laughs> Zola, Asprilla, Thomas Brolin, you know, half of Italy's World Cup side. Bucci and goals. That summer. Tripper. They all went, didn't they? They, they were very good. They were very good. The holders. Holders, holders, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And in uh, Nevio Scala, uh, he, he was a top coach he at the was, time. He was, he was, yeah. Uh, so, the tractor, farmer. Was he? Yes. It's an irrelevant detail, but it's true. No, don't mind that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we went into it thinking, we're going to do well here, lads, to, to get anything out of it. But I remember going out for the warm-up, and it was just like hybrid. It was just full of red and white banners, scarves, flags. Gave us a great reception for our warm-up, and that lifted us. We went back into the dressing room thinking, come on, boys, you know, we've got a great chance here, we've got wonderful support. It's funny psychology, isn't it? Yeah. That, that just added a little millimetre to yeah. focus, we've got to do this for them. The, yeah. The, the, where they weren't sneering at us, the podium turned one way or the other. Yeah. Tiny little things making a yeah. difference. Yeah. It was funny, I don't know if Italian fans kind of historically don't travel that much in numbers, I don't know, there weren't too many, like, there were three or four thousand Palmer fans, which just seemed odd for a European fine. But, uh, yeah, it had the feeling of a home game, really. And I think we felt, with our back five being at its pomp, if we could snatch a goal, we'd always have been with a great chance. And that's exactly how it turned out. Um, I mean, David Seaman had had pain-killing injections in his ribs. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he was kind of going through the pain barrier, and he made a couple of saves. The one, the one where he reaches back over his head yeah. to put over the bar, that must, the ribs yeah. must have been screaming I at him at that was, stage. He, he had a little grimace and he had another jab at half-time. Yeah, we really had to hang in there. Rode our luck. I mean, Lee Dixon could have easily given a penalty away and they could have scored. How much of a penalty was that out of 100? Yeah, 101. 100? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking at it now, Dicko just laughs about it. He can't believe it. Can't you can, believe the, it the ball like goes in a trajectory which is impossible if he's touched yeah, it. Yeah. And the, the, I forget who it was on the deck. I don't know if it's Melly or whoever, the Parma man yeah. on the deck. It's, it's floored. No, it's, well, we had the luck that night. It was Enter the Dragon, the, the actual yeah. tackle, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Pure Bruce Lee. Anyway, but, you know, referee didn't give it. They missed a few chances that they might have otherwise taken on a different night and you know I got our goal and and then it was kind of back to the what I can't remember us having another chance really no so it was a question of me trying to hold it up as much as I could give the rest of the boys a respite you know a break and trying to see it through there's a really funny incident later on when Espria who's featured in our podcast before because we'd have probably a six hour special with Peter Beardsley but obviously having played with Faustino he, he told us great tales about Aspria's ability and how he actually he loved having went Newcastle. Very funny man. And late on, I don't know if you remember, they score a goal which disallowed for offside Parma. Yes. And the referee, having given the decision, has his hand up like that. And Aspria coming back goes to sort of high-five him, the referee, and then tries to haul his hand down his decision to say, no, it's not offside, mm. give us the goal. Which is so eccentric. It was I? offside, though, I think, wasn't it? There were, under those rules. But we're so used to, particularly in your job now, you look at it and you go, 
That's a goal. Well, the guy who's offside is not interfering with oh, play in, in any way yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, it's a goal. Mm. Anfield in 89, when the ball, when Barnes goes down there famously and every, all the clever wits say, like, well, he should have just, you know, whatever. the ball gets kicked back to, to David, who picks it up and yeah. circulates it. If there had been no it had been feet only, probably the ball would have been put out of play mm. and it wouldn't have gone to David and it wouldn't have gone to Lee and it wouldn't have gone to you and it wouldn't have gone to Mickey Thomas. Mm. Mm. Rule changes have been quite interesting over the piece mm. but I still go back to the idea that something about what you'd suffered the three previous years the ultimate of what every schoolboy dreams of scoring when he called the European final mm. wasn't quite enough to erase the difficulties that you were having no or, or to compensate is a, is a better word maybe yeah I mean God I mean to have Copenhagen on your CV is brilliant and as you say Arsenal having only won two European trophies and to score the winning goal so many people talk to me about it still but fact was, I was in a real trough at the time. You know, you want to be enjoying your football um, day in, day out. And you want to be um, producing your best or something approaching it. And having set those standards, you know, I, I dipped to so much. So, yeah, it was a port in a storm. It was great on the night. But even at the end, you know, it is bittersweet because you're thinking, if only I could produce that kind of performance more regularly wouldn't life be so much better? So it didn't compensate. Yes, I'd have much rather have had... It's three. very, very sad, that. It, it really is, given that you're, you're talking to, you know, not me, but everybody's listening. You know, that's the dream. And maybe it's important for people to understand that, you know, an unsatisfying daily life in football, whether it be for any reason, an injury, constant pain, being bullied by the manager, it's a very debilitating thing to go through. And, and life is not, you know, sweetness and love and roses and... Chocolates when you're a footballer, it, it can be quite a hard, rocky life. Yeah, I never forget having a conversation with a friend of ours, Champagne Phil, so called because he used to crack open a bottle of bubbly when Arsenal scored the first goal up in the top east uh, east stand upper. My wife used to sit by him and he'd pass around the plastic cups of champagne. Just shows you how times have changed. Uh, he's For the a, worst. He, he was a child psychologist and. Uh, I, I, I used to say oh, I'm really down, really miserable, and he used to say, oh, "Come on, Smudge, you centre forward for Arsenal." He's a massive Arsenal fan, you know. This is my boyhood dream. He was trying to get me to put it in perspective, and and I should have maybe put it in more perspective at the time. But it's hard when you're in the middle of it, and it's kind of consuming you. It's pressing you down. Uh, it's hard at the time. But as I said in the book, you know. I, I was beating myself up in the cup final in 93. The gaffer was having a go at me for not holding the ball up. He was constantly on my back. But, you know, I'd set up Wrighty's goal. We'd won the FA Cup. We'd won the League Cup before that. You know, was life so bad as mm. I, you know, I was imagining it to be for myself? I should have taken a lighter view on things than I did. I was beating myself up too much. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Would you be an advocate of, of us being more careful about sports people's mental health now, you know, in your position as an analyst and a commentator and a writer? given your experience, is, is it important that we're a lot more public about that, a lot more careful about support systems and possibly people like you and I and Neil are a little bit more careful about what we say about people? Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah. or is, that, is that, am I too soft in that? No, I think we do think more about it because obviously people are more open to admitting mental health problems, aren't they? I think people, you know, in, in wider society, we, we talk about it more it's it's brought out into the open more, which is obviously a very good thing. And um, as you said earlier, maybe people imagine football has got it made, earning millions, doing the job that they love. You know, they must be immune to that kind of uh, that kind of issue, but obviously they're not. Um, and uh, one or two have come forward uh, with with their experiences. Um, I mean, now more than ever, they they are in a fishbowl aren't they and the scrutiny put upon them you know I, I said the other day I wouldn't swap my time for the lad today you know taking away the issue of money because I, I think it's slightly less joyless now mm. with the pressure that they're under with social media they can't go out in a, in a just relaxed manner mm. camera phones in the faces left right and centre and, and that that is bound to have an effect on certain personalities I mm-hmm. think you know um, so we shouldn't take things for granted well okay then uh, you know, I wasn't trying to put you in the position of being um, a psychologist, but I do. I do think it's worth pointing out to people that when we, you know, what we demand of sports, elite sports men and women, and, and what we, how we describe them, and that it's easy, maybe out of slight degree of envy, to say, well, if they've got everything I think I want materially, then everything must be perfect, and it's not. This is the point uh, now winding down. When uh, before the interview, I primed you by saying, if you saw a blindfolded old man at the side of the street, would you, being a nice man? help him across the street and you said yeah so help me through the existence of FIFA football because um, I'm unaware of this phenomenon but apparently it is a phenomenon one apparently of the few you are one of the few yes <laughs> thank you I'm going to take that in a good way well no I only say that because I mean it, is, it has become a phenomenon I think 10 million copies sold at the last count last year FIFA 19's out this month it'll probably sell even more I mean to be involved in it has been a, an eye-opener and a privilege, a pleasure. I get 
so many 12-year-old kids asking for selfies, not because they admired my Arsenal and Leicester career, but because they listened to my voice. And, you know, I speak to dads who, and they say, yeah, I know Alan Smith. And they go, you know Alan Smith? He's, he's a legend. You know Alan Smith? Brilliant. You know, it's, it, it's funny like that, you know, the kind of position you're held in by mostly younger kids, you know, some of, a, of an older age play it, you know, gentlemen. <laughs> listener, left. listener, that was actually brilliant. Just a gentle striker's look across the table at, at Neil White to my right. Well, then, uh, my Brilliantly girl, done. I say that. But, Cold uh, blood. When my girls were at university, they said, oh, all my, all my mates are playing it, all their boyfriends, as it were, their mates who are boys, they all play it. And um, my girls um, shared a flat in South London. One of them's gone to live with a boyfriend now, but we've still got the flat. And it was the height of summer this year, and we were getting some stuff out of the car outside the flat, and all the windows were open. It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was 30 degrees, boiling hot. And all you could hear was my voice booming out. Down the streets of South London, and and the girls went, "Listen, Dad, listen, Dad, that's you." And for me, um, that comes as a shock because I don't I don't really play it, so I don't hear my voice too much. But that brought it home. People and these and these were lads of thirty. People are playing it for hours on end, and they're listening to me talking nonsense <laughs> about it, which is an amazing thing. Uh, and I absolutely love. We're talking about across the it. world, aren't we? Really, we're not talking in South London. We're talking yes. worldwide, right? And also, I think many foreign-speaking countries, people, gamers over there, they do like to take the English commentary the yeah. because it feels more authentic. Yeah. And obviously, they can understand English, and they like to play with our, our voices. So, um, I was in Israel one day, and uh, I think I was covering an England game for the under-21s, and um, I was doing an interview for the reporter, and this lad came around the corner with a big smile on his face, and he hadn't seen who I was, but he could hear my voice, and he, all he said, ah, oh, FIFA, and a big smile, and we had a picture, you know? It's fabulous. And that just shows you the, the reach of it. And um, for, you know, those who like Swiss watches, what you do is you open up and you look at the workings. So, if I'm led to believe that what you do is you sit with a joystick and you kind of... I don't know, make little men move around a television screen or something of that ilk, right? So far, so good. I think so, you're, you're not right. far off. Yeah. Therefore, it's not live action and you're not inside the computer or the television commentating on what you're seeing. Mm. So what's that all about? <laughs> I do get blamed for certain comments as if, you know, I've chosen them at that particular moment. <laughs> saying, oh, I've just won five games on the chart and you're telling me I've got to work hard at my game, might work harder, you know. I said, I'm sorry, it's not my fault it's a computer glitch but no those kind of things happen less often now because how they put our comments to the action is a source of amazement to me they send all our recordings off to Vancouver where EA Sports HQ is and they knock it all into shape but I mean what Martin Tyler and I do we sit in a recording studio and they'll give us a, a batch of scenarios on which to commentate but it's up to us what words we put to that scenario. And they go into minute detail about these, you know, episodes. You know, we'll have a pre-season tournament with four games in a group, four teams in a group, 
You've won the first leg of the first game 1-0, but not played so well. So now, Alan and Martin, could you add some words just before the second leg? And, you know, Martin will say, well, they, they got through the first leg, Alan, but they need to do a bit better. And I'll go, yeah, yeah, they're a bit off, bit off colour, Martin, there. Uh, so-and-so, you know, they need to do better in the wide areas. So you, you have to constantly think and put detail mm-hmm. to, the, to the scenario in order to make it realistic. Um, and it, it's brilliant because I mean it, it, it frazzles the mind after about five hours in the recording studio because you're constantly thinking of different ways to say things and you're constantly using your imagination trying to picture the scene but it, it's so rewarding to do you're never commentating over images it's all never, in your head no, no well rarely occasionally there'll be a trophy lift There'll be a scene after, you know, somebody's won the European Cup, whatever, and we'll talk through those, those scenes. Um, but no, normally, uh, 99% of the time, we're just talking into the lip mic, imagining this situation. Tell us, oh, he's just hit a 20-yard free kick just over the wall, but it's just cleared the crossbar on the right-hand side, you know, describe that. So from that point of view, that's where I, I, I do feel my kind of background, my education and that has helped me in this subsequent career in terms of, you know, delving into vocabulary, finding different words to mm-hmm. describe the same situation. So, no, I love it. Yeah, it, it's brilliant uh, to, to get that recognition from a new generation. I think we all like to be not only gainfully employed, but we like to be respected. We like to be asked to do things. We like to be told that we're, we're worth something. Yeah. <laughs> it works for everybody if you've been told that and if you've been told that and 10 million people each year agree mm. you're doing something right yeah yeah well yeah I'm on FIFA 19 so that's good hopefully FIFA 20 <laughs> we'll see <laughs> uh, but uh, people do people do enjoy it and you'll always get people having a having a go um, but uh, in the main I get really positive comments and uh, yeah as I said it, it's a privilege to be involved in something that's grown so this is like you know well, monster. You've, you've also done really nicely helping this old man across the road. I kind of understand now, ish, but I definitely respect. <laughs> All that's left for me to do is to give everybody a heads up. Yeah, like it. Good. Yeah, not yeah. bad. Okay, not quite as nicely as you slipped in the FIFA 19. However, Alan's book is very good. He wrote it himself. It's his life. He's given us a little taste of it just now on the big interview. For that. Thank you very much indeed. I've enjoyed it. I hope we haven't bored you. No, not at all. I hope I haven't bored you. No, I hope I've told you something you didn't know. Apparently that Brummie Droll is a lot more entertaining than you ever thought it was. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.